Hey folks, thanks for tuning into the show. This one is with Mike Trong. He is a rags to riches entrepreneur from Portland, Oregon, and uh, actually recorded the show up there in Portland with him at the local library. I just set up in a little spare room and did a show with him and Albert Lee. And because of the size of the room, there is some echo. Uh, I did my best to take it out, but it's going to be there a little bit for new listeners know that the audio quality is usually better than this a little bit better less echoey and uh for returning listeners sorry for these episodes um i love you all very much and here's a show all right mike trung how goes it man it's good uh my name is mike i run a media company called faint media and i'm also a serial entrepreneur nice and part of that uh, part of your faint media you travel around with edm artists or part of that um that's probably one of my latest projects i think uh over time i wanted to do more media stuff and you know being like at a young age i knew that there's only a certain amount of time i could like really have fun so part of the media business was i wanted to just travel listen to music have fun you know yeah. while i'm still young and so how did that work how would you get from just taking photos of friends to following elenium to his venues and so I, I think it's a crazy thing people underrate how special the internet is i literally just uh, pretty much contacted all the management of all these EDM people that I followed. And I was like, hey, let, let me go on tour with you guys. And, you know, I sent like almost 30 out and only maybe three got back to me. And maybe two of them said no. And one of them said yes. And I was like, wow, one of them is Elenium. This is a, this is sort of crazy, you know? And so it, it, it's like a very surreal feeling. But when you're there, it's like, you know, I've been able to be at Madison Square Garden and to be in that crowd and not like just from the audience side, it just, it's incredible. And being able to like just travel all over the places because I'm 25 now and it's only been the last year where I've traveled majority of my life. I was born here in Portland and I've pretty much have been here my whole entire life and not like gone out of the state. So that'd be a trip, man. All of a sudden you get to travel all around the world, listen to your favorite artists. Or I mean, all around the U.S. now. Eventually, did you say your goal is to be in Europe? Yeah, that would be like a major goal to be doing like these huge shows in like Europe and doing these European tours, but that's like a far stretch, but you know, it's, it's still capable. Mm-hmm. What's interesting. I don't know. I, I'm just going to speak from my own experience here. The more I got into like EDM and stuff and I tried MDMA and listening to people in Europe talk about their MDMA experience, they take like six times to eight times the dose that people here take. And they're like, yeah, I take it every weekend. And people here are like, oh, I take it once every two months. And I'm like, that's crazy. Like, I think the whole party scene and stuff, like the whole rave, and I guess an extension of that would be EDM, like it seems a lot bigger over there. For sure. Like I've seen shows there where the production is way higher just for a single individual here. And you're talking about like the culture here when it comes to the shows, people go here and it's, it's a fun thing, but over there, it's almost like a every night kind of thing. But obviously with that, you know, the EDM scene is known for like a lot of drugs too. You know, there's a lot of underground things that can happen. And so, you know, when you're on tour, you know, that happens, you know, in the crowd, but it's obviously not my job. You know, my job is just to create content for whoever I'm going with. I know. But imagine being that artist. Imagine being on stage and just knowing that there's thousands of people out there having the best times of their life. They're rolling. This is the peak experience of their like of the past year is to come to see you. That'd be that'd be a lot of pressure to like, you know, just kick some ass up there for sure. But it's like if you ever think about it from their perspective, they never know what their show is like. Because from the audience side, they see it all the time. And for these artists to go to like 40 stops, 50 stops, you know, on one tour, 
playing the same thing over and over, it's never the same thing to them. You know, it's always adapting, you know, which soundtrack should I play or, you know, is the audience really feeling it? So it's, it's a crazy feeling to just do that multiple times over and over. But, you know, every time you, you still get a bit nervous. So do you see the shows? Do you see multiple, like multiple shows in a row of the same musician or the same artist? Yeah. And it's pretty much the same set over like do you get 35 times. Um, I do, but you know, it's, it's, it just depends on the vibe of the audience. Sometimes it's like just really dead. Like we had a show here in Portland and that was, that wasn't as great as it was in like Seattle. Yeah. Because I think there's also the demographic of certain places where EDM is more like, um, I guess celebrated and welcomed. Mm-hmm. I'm pumped, man. I think it's just getting better. I mean, the technology of music, it's like a weird thing to think about. A lot of people fight against it. Like when the synth came out, a lot of people didn't like it. And now people like Bon Iver and, um, are, are using these new vocal kind of synths, like turning their voices into vocoders and stuff. I think the technology of music's getting to a place where I think it's just going to get better and better. Like, I don't know. It'd be cool to have eventually like a uh, different dimension of music where it's, it is like you have like a bass somewhere on your vest or something. Oh, so yeah. you can like listen to it in a, in a, in a more multidimensional way. Would that be multidimensions? I think there'll be like, like Hap- a 4d kind of thing. You know yeah. what I mean? Be able to like feel it. Yeah. Like a haptic I'm, feedback yeah, music. For sure. I don't know, man. I'm pumped. I think EDM is the future of music. Uh, as much as I fought against it, I, I used to always be like a, rock and roll and rapping kind of stuff. But then one of my uh, roommates just kept getting into it. And I'm like, all right, you know, uh, it started off with like, oh, Des is pretty good. And then Elenium's pretty good. And then Alice in Wonderland, I saw at OSU and I'm like, they're all fucking great, you know? Um, so what are your, what are your other endeavors? Like, is that your primary thing that you're, you're going for or what? Um, that was sort of like an itch I had to scratch, you know, I did that for a good three months. Now I'm back to what I do as like pretty much a venture capitalist. Uh, for 2020 and for the next decade, a lot of the things I want to focus on is, you know, working with technology and humanity. Specifically right now, uh, I'm working on one project with this, with autism and virtual reality and augmented reality. Uh, a little bit about that. So kids on the autism spectrum, they have so much stimulus from, you know, auditory and visual, and sometimes that can cause negative behaviors. And through like, I've, I've been a behavioral therapist in the autism scene for quite a bit now to understand how that works out. And if you think about it, you can technically use AR and VR technology to develop a environment for them where they can feel safe. And on the second hand of that, you can alter their environment, you know, teaching them certain skills and controlling the visual and the auditory where they don't have to harm themselves. Yeah. So would you be going like they're in a classroom and um, they're in VR, but the teachers there and all the other students are removed or like, like what kind of environments? Usually it, it we're planning right now to be a home environment because right now, if your child isn't like diagnosed at an early age, and that might be due to insurance reasons, right? They might not get the treatment they need at that early age, which is important because of insurance. So with this technology and offering it on a VR system, a parent can just pick up the system. You know, um, we have already pretty much have this algorithm that can track the highest rate of efficiency for recovery for our child with autism and they can go through the plan and then they can do that home process themselves compared to doing, you know, a traditional 40 hours of therapy a week, you know, that's hard on a child because it's a one-on-one therapist kind of thing with a VR system. You can actually make it more fun. And that's why the rate of recovery is a much higher with our, you know, study currently. That's great. So you worked in this field before, did you get a degree in something or? Well, I, I went to Oregon state. I graduated with a computer science and pre-med degree. But I, when I joined the media business, I didn't think I was going to go back. But, you know, part of me wanted to go back just because I wanted to help more people. 
And so in the past, you know, maybe two years I've been working there, you just see how hard the world is. And, you know, there's a humanity that needs help. And so being able to be an entrepreneur, I'm sort of looking back at these, you know, issues in the world and trying to solve them myself. That's interesting. Do you just have that, like, uh, not only, not like necessarily guilt, but just that feeling of like, I'm grateful that all I have and you just want to give back or like, for sure. I, I grew up here in Portland and my, my dad was the only working individual in the family. So we didn't grow up with much at all. And so I really understand what you really need at the end of the day is, you know, food, shelter, clothes on your back. And that almost everything else in life, you know, is already provided. Nature is one of the most beautiful things that a lot of people don't really get to explore. And I'm lucky right now I'm starting to explore that just at 25. And so knowing that, it's almost like, I wouldn't say a burden, but it's like ignorance ignorance is sort of kind of bliss in a way. Where if you don't really think about the issues in the world, you can live your day-to-day happy. But when you have the time and you notice how hurt the world is and you try to help it, the more you help, the more you notice how hurt the world is. And so it's just a cycle of, you know, will I ever really accomplish what I really want? Maybe not, but, you know, if you say you're going to change something and you're going to wait for someone else to do it and you keep waiting for that cycle, nothing gets done. It's a crazy path to go down thinking that you can help the world. It it seems like a big, like, I mean, just just here walking from the parking garage to here, I'm in Portland for people listening. Um, there are so many homeless people and you just look at it and you're like, I mean, my God, like why, why aren't they being helped by the local government? You know, like, why is this allowed to happen? It seems like all the businesses would band together and be like, we don't want them on our streets. It would be better for everyone if they had a house. It'd be safer. Like your houses and cars wouldn't be broken into. You wouldn't have someone laying on the street. Like it seems like it'd benefit everyone to make sure that everyone's housed and has food. The system of homelessness here is really weird because the government just gives them housing and that's it. It's free housing here. That's why you see people line up at a certain amount of time. And they have so many of those buildings here, but past that, there's no, you know, education reform. There's no other establishment for them, which is, you know, Portland is increasingly, the homeless population is every day. People are coming from other states because they have that ability to just have a night, you know, place to sleep. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. This is not the place I'd be. I mean, it's freezing out right now. You know, this is the literally the last place I would want to be. And when I, I went to L.A. a couple months ago and it was just as bad there, if not worse, in terms of the homeless population, like the star walk and stuff. Like I, I, I drove home from a comedy show at night and it was just loaded with people and tents and stuff. And I'm like, it's here. It's Eugene. It's Portland. It's everywhere. There, there's a lot. And, and part of the reason why I think the government might want to let like let people be homeless as a way to like almost scare people into be like, see, you don't want to be like them. Be a part of the system. Just go, go mindlessly work your whole life. You know, it's a weird thing. I, th- I think that right now the way it is, is they kind of consciously leave that there as a deterrent. But I think people like, I mean, the person I'm talking to right after this, Albert Lee running for Congress, he's like one of the Bernie campaign kind of people. I think that might be a change for the better. You know, we're talking about systems right now, right? And you're, you say you're 22. How do you feel about the education system and the system of being like transferring from like just an adult? Yeah, it, it was embarrassingly bad and inadequate. It was horrible, for, at least in my experience, OSU, unless they radically reform, I'm going to talk ill about them forever. They, they did a horrible job. Um, and then it's like, if you want to go be a, an entrepreneur or whatever after that, it's like, all right, well, hey, go start in the real world with debt. So you have a $250 um, daily or monthly cost on top of just trying to be alive. It's like, you you wouldn't give an eighteen year old twenty five grand a twenty five thousand dollars small uh, small business loan, but you give them twenty five thousand dollars in debt for an education that isn't a guarantee. Like you know, it's like what the fuck are we doing? 
we're definitely not. I helping. agree with it. It's uh, when I went to OSU and I took five and a half years to graduate, and it was just rough for me because I didn't have the passion there, and pretty much everything was just shoved in your face, and just you were told to remember it, and you know if you didn't put it on the test, you would have to repeat it the next year, and that takes money. And I remember one specific moment when I was with my professor, and uh, I was in computer science, and you were making your. Uh, your pro plan, right? For after sophomore year, I was like, Oh, you can pick your own classes. So I was like, I was talking about the innovations of the world and digital media and how I want to use technology, pretty much everything I've done now. He told me that that wasn't relevant and being a counselor, right? Like he, he wasn't a computer scientist or anything. He was just a counselor. He said that wasn't possible. And so I read up my report anyway, sent it to the board of directors for the computer science to approve that, you know, school plan. And they denied it which is weird because five and a half years later, I'm doing that exact thing right now. And so it just shows to you that the school system, I think it's, it's, sort, it's very broken in the sense that a lot of people are coming out with degrees now and they're not doing what they love in the sense that a lot of them are just trying to make a living, which is crazy because you know, how, do you, how do you do great things in life is if you have disposable income and time. And right now, if, you're, if most of your time is just to survive, it's really hard. hundred percent. No, it's brutal, man. Um, I honestly think school just kind of beats whatever you love out of you. Like I'm sure you went into it enjoying computer science and the health field and you probably left like, fuck that, you know? Like, I mean, you obviously kind of made it work with what, with, with what you're doing in a couple ways, but like for the most part, whatever you go into college wanting to do, they'll just make you not really want to do it as much or just do it begrudgingly. Like, well, I spent four years, five years, you know, and a lot of money getting here. I guess I have to now. I, I do think we'd be in a better place if we were a country of, um, not wealth, abundance, just like, like everyone had more than enough. So that enough time in a way, a lot of the people who commit suicide and stuff, I think they do it almost out of boredom. Like you don't hear of that many people struggling, like, cause it, it's almost something to do. I think like a lot of like Mac Miller and like, just like, like f- people with a lot of time on their hands, I also think can be a bad thing if there's no structure. Well, I'd like, have you listened to the the new Mac Miller one album that just dropped? Circles. Mm-mm. He just released that a couple of days ago, and like, Wait, for him, it's he he passed away, but yeah. the, his like, team. Oh, cool. The, the, with the music that he was working on at that time, released the album. Nice. And so I just listened to the album, and it's like, it's happy in a way, but it's also really sad that someone talented as that, and you never really know that there's people at certain levels that are they seem extremely happy, but down down they're not. For me. Um, as an entrepreneur, and I did this for maybe three, four years, a lot of people from the outside think I'm very like enthusiastic. Like people see, I go to these great places, you know, uh, travel with um, all these artists and all this kind of stuff. But in reality, it's a very lonely kind of life because like I said, in my mind, I want to use my influence and the wealth that I built to help other people. But because of that, I've learned over time, there's so much suffering and that, that takes a toll on me because it's like, well, if I don't try, then this person's got to suffer. So there's a balance of how much can you really do to how much that you just have to let go and say that you've done your best. But saying that you've done your best is not always the, you know, is not the feeling that you want. No. So it's, it's just that small struggle that, you know, I think some people look at entrepreneurs or people that quote unquote have made it. They don't really understand. They're like, oh, this person has a lot of money. They should be really happy in their life. Yeah. What was that transition like going from just trying to survive to being in a place of moderate abundance? For me, monetary value wasn't always a big thing. I was an objective kind of person. Uh, I wanted to give back, but a lot of institutes here in Portland, when I was looking at nonprofits and organizations to work with, they saw me as you know a young entrepreneur and be like, I'm not sure about your ideas, but 
why I've been so successful is I've been brought onto teams to really aggressively market things or aggressively change things. So the way I technically approach things is very aggressive. It's very non, I guess, typical of how marketing is now. And a lot of people don't, they, they just don't like that kind of method. But uh, for the ones that I've worked with that have accepted, you know, my skill set, you know, we're doing amazing things in the next decade. And, you know, I'm grateful for those people. But um, well, for me, is just an avenue to talk about. I think for me right now, my parents came here as immigrants, you know, for me to pursue my dreams. And now in a way, my dreams is to help, you know, kids get their dreams back from a society that has sort of taken it away from them. Especially, you know, those who are in the young age of like in the mental health field or like um, foster care and those kids that go through like different kind of abuse as a young children. Because it it, it's just nice knowing that for me, if I could look back on my life and knew that there was someone like me that would look out for like kids like me, I would maybe grow up in a more easier time. And knowing that there's a lot of kids right now that are affected in that way and they don't have anyone, you know, it makes you want to be that person, especially if you have the resources to do so. hundred percent. And part of the way you got your resources through trading, like Tim Sykes kind of thing. Yeah. So, you know, when you're, when you're a young entrepreneur, you're like, how do I make money? You, you see a lot of these Forex entrepreneurs on Instagram and all this and all these people that are like, oh, we make so much money. And you see them taking pictures at like the top of the roofs of hotels and that. And it's like, it's not, it's not realistic. You know, when you can ask them like, what do you do? And they don't talk about it. Then it seems like a really fraud kind of thing. But I did trade stocks for a while and I lost a lot of money in the beginning because I was like, this is easy. You sort of just sell when it's higher. You buy when it's lower. Yeah. But it was these certain patterns that you had to follow that I had to understand over time. And I lost like maybe twenty to $30,000 originally. And for me, I was like, oh, maybe I'll try again next week without even studying the system or yeah. anything. And then and you're it, more emotional going into the next week. Exactly. And eventually, um, you know, you just meet people and you're like, oh, I'm a, I'm a stock trader. And I was like, oh, what do you do? And how do you do it? And then they, you really have to like learn and take the time to teach and like just listen and just listen a lot, you know, not even talk. And eventually over time, you know, one of my biggest ones, I think it was Arcadia Bioscience. Um, You're a biotech guy. Yeah. Like just a couple times. But originally I, before the deal happened and before the stock rise, I think I, I made a quarter or a third of a million dollars off that trade. But before that, um, but wait, were you, were you betting going into a patent, like a stage two or three trial, like, uh, like the results for a trial? Like, did you buy it like options on it or something before the trial came out? Somewhat. I knew that I saw ahead of the news that there was a, uh, he was an NFL football player that was about to, uh, put in money to the venture. And so I was like, Oh, this guy's a very big name. And so I was like, Oh, this is, let's just put money in here. You never know what happened. And so I, I think I grew about 600% overnight and I was, I was literally in a different state and I pulled up my phone. I was like, holy shit, this is happening right now. And so that's when I sort of understood and I looked for these certain patterns. Nice. But for me, I don't trade every day. That's not like my main income. It's more like a skill set. I think all these things I do, you know, traveling, media, the health, biotech and all that. All that comes together to inform me for like a better decision in the future. So. Nice. Well, because you can't just do that. All all those numbers, having your entire world be about numbers and companies that you'll never be a part of and just kind of like buying and selling, it drives you crazy. Yeah. You know, it just makes you more emotional. Then you lose 20 grand and you're like, I need to make at least 20 grand next week. And then you lose 20 grand more. Exactly. So, you know, it's brutal. It's gambling technically, it's gambling. you know, <laughs> but you, it's technically not gambling if you really... 
are you, disciplined about yourself. Yeah, or if you're good at it. Yes. <laughs> you know, Which lucky. most cases, a lot of people aren't in the sense that they get too emotionally frustrated about it and then they just either lose too much money or they're like, you know, F this, I got to go back to find a job or something, you know? You, you got to admit, Tim Sykes seems like a huckster. Like, I mean, I, you, you went through it, so it must not be, but I kept looking at it. Like, I watched, I listened to uh, Tim Grittani, his students, um, all of his, like, lectures and stuff and his keynote speakings. I'm like, I really like the guy. And, like, I'd look at Tim Sykes and be like, I just feel like he's trying to, like, you know, like, like I just, you know how um, some people just present that kind of air of, like, sus like just yeah suspect. yeah i'm like he just seems sus and i hadn't met anyone who actually went through like in person but now i have so you you, you say it's like it's it's legit i it's legit and i've met his other like uh, students like steven Wynn, who is very he's starting to come up as this own stock trader now having his own programs and all that i think the program aspect of it is really weird i think the sense of you know i want to teach you how to make a lot of money but i want you to pay 250 300 it's first yeah that's weird to me, and or that's thousands, also something weird. Or two, yeah. two hundred and fifty, you know, twenty five hundred dollars for like a diamond thing. Yeah, but I know Tim's a good guy. Uh, I work him. I work with him on his um, foundation, Karagawa, and I've been able to go to places with him, and then you know, pretty much you know, do these like relief efforts and that. So he's a he's a, he's a good guy. Yeah, no, but I, of course, when it comes to the media, you know, yeah, he seems very pushy. And, and, but but you got to get it that like it's like you want people who are committed to yes. doing it. You don't just want like oh anyone can do it and then no one's committed, so everyone fails out and then it looks bad upon exactly. you. Exactly, I get it. But like you just got to look like that as someone who there is there. We're in a world where there is a lot of hucksters, you know. Yeah. Um, I'm curious. Have you ever looked into Naval Ravikant by chance? No, what is it? Uh, he's he's an angel, kind of like a venture capitalist kind of guy. Um, and he has like this super famous tweet storm, how to get rich without getting lucky. And it's just a bunch of, it, it's incredible. I don't know. Like, I, I, just, I can't <laughs> just like, like listening to you talk right now. I'm like, yeah. that can't be real. You know, no, it's, it's, it's unbelievable. Like I almost want to read out the tweet storm. I've never read it on, on, on air because, but like I talk about the guy constantly. He went on Joe Rogan once, um, and ever since then, I, I mean, the, the book I'm reading was inspired by, like, he says that's his favorite, uh, his favorite author is um, Krishnamurti. It's crazy, dude. Um, I couldn't speak that's highly. wild, though. But it's not like, oh, do this and this. It's like, um, just, just weird things. Like, understand that ethical wealth creation is possible. If you secretly despise wealth, it'll elude you. Just because, like, you'll be one of those people who kind of virtue signals that you're like, oh, I don't care about being happy or wealthy. And then people who are focused on making money won't do business with you as much so they'll mm -hmm. be like you know like just just simple kind of tips like that and like make sure you don't work with anyone who is a chronic pessimist because you know like you have to be a radical optimist to overcome that and just like just super basic foundational things and he's like over 10 years if you kind of just like work toward one goal you'll reach it that's the crazy thing about like entrepreneurship is for me it's so important for you to start young you know, you look at Steve Jobs um, and all these other people that have these big companies. They started when they were like 18, 19, or maybe in their young 20s. And by the time they were 30, they have almost 10 years of experience dealing with the media, press, um, product development, and just human resources and everything. While a lot of people, they go to college and they go for a PhD. And by the time they're 30, they're out with their degree, right? They're in so much debt, but at the same time, they don't really have the experience of the real world. And so I think when it comes to entrepreneurship, you can technically do it at any age, but I would like say that you should start as early as possible. Any age. I, I don't think people like 
you see, you see these people who are like, I wrote my first book on making money when I was 12 and I've written 20 by the time I'm like 18 or something. And I think like at a certain point you should wait until you're like 16 or 18 to like, just enjoy life for a little while, you know, like maybe be looking into it, but like no one's like, I'm never going to read a book that a 16 year old writes, you know? Yeah. But for the most part, but like, like at any age, I do think the younger, the better up until maybe 18, 12. like I wish I'd started a little bit earlier, but again, I was in the trap of college thinking that it would lead me somewhere. I don't know. I don't know. College is, (laughs) it's so weird because I'm also Asian American. So it's part of the culture where like, you should go to college, you should be a doctor, you should be an engineer and all these things that uh, my friends are doing now. And that's why I've sort of like pushed away when it comes to like, I guess, you know, my culture in a sense, because when you talk about an entrepreneurship or entrepreneur, right, my parents are like, oh, what the fuck is that? You know, to them, it's like, oh, you just told me you want to be homeless for the rest of your life. So it's, it's really difficult to talk about, you know, the success and what it actually is for me. I would always define entrepreneurship of suffering through an X amount of time trying to do something. But when, once you get there and you put in the hard work, you know, you see the value you bring to like people's lives, which is incredibly important. Mm -hmm. No, I'm with you. It's as weird as it is, I kind of consider this a startup and I'm working with like the local accelerator. Um, and I'm actually interviewing people for the local VC fund, like their founders fireside, you know, how like a lot of VC funds, like, uh, do interviews with the people they invest in. So I'm like, kind of like, I do like being a part of the whole thing. Um, and like, it's getting bigger. Like I'm going to be interviewing a governor and a semi-famous musician and stuff, but like, and I've only been doing it for six months, but I always feel weird just calling it a startup because I'm not selling anything. And I'm not like, like, I don't know. It's weird how I assume you probably got a lot when you're starting to do something. Everyone will just tell you like a million things of like, oh, you know, a billion people are already probably touring. Like, I'm sure all the big musicians already have people taking videos and stuff for them. Like, you almost never hear like, oh, that's super cool, man. Like, I should do that. Like, people will just fear monger for the most part. Oh, I totally agree with that. It's like, you know, when especially in the creative field, you're like, oh, this person's better than you. You don't have to do this, you know, and X, Y, and Z. And eventually you sort of recognize those people in your life that are important. And those people are, are pretty toxic and you just have to let them go. Even though sometimes that might be people in your own family, but in the sense that once you really find your path and you just like sort of chase that North star of yours and you're sort of, for me, it was almost like a blindsided thing. That's all I care about was how do I be successful, but how do I do it in the right way? And where, you know, no spilled blood or and in my own sweat and tears. And so transitioning to that, I'm happy now in a sense, but in a way there's still a big part of me that's missing, you know, and that's that, you know, friends and family part. Because you can have a conversation with someone, but, you know, for me, it's always in the back of my head again. How do you help other people? And so small conversations don't excite me anymore. It's always the deep and long conversations of what we can do together. But it also comes with relationship issues, you know, like for me, it's so hard to have a relationship with someone because one, I'm not here all the time. And at my age now, a lot of people are just meeting at the clubs, you know, meeting through mutual friends. And I can't vibe at a club, you know, and again, I want to have good conversations. And you can't do that when you have like liquor in you and all that. So meeting someone in general for a relationship is like hard as an entrepreneur, in my opinion, at my age right now. And I'm pretty young. Yeah. So you think you've gotten happier but lonelier, would you almost say? Oh, for sure. I think that's like 110%. But in the sense of there's more people that are grateful for what you do. But sometimes you don't feel that because they don't say it to your face. 
it's because they're living that gratefulness through their, you know, newly founded life of, you know, maybe they're able to get an extra $200, $300 a month to like from a program that you set up for them so they can have food or you're giving them other resources. And the, the perk of it also is, you know, you have employees now and the sense that you get to put, you know, food on their table is something that's no, it's hard to describe. That's crazy. Awesome, man. Uh, <laughs> that just seems like a, like an interesting thing to, to have been like to, to achieve what most people set out to do, to be pretty much financially independent. Like you don't have to, you can wait, you did to pick when you wake up for the most part, you know, yeah. and which, how you dress and everything. Um, but then to just feel like that's lonely because that's every person I've talked to who's, who I view as successful and like society was viewed as successful. They, habitually say it's lonely. This is a lonely endeavor. And I'm like, really? It's just an interesting thing because I mean, I talk to people for a living kind of right now, you know? Um, and it's definitely affected the way I have normal conversations because like you now, like the small, like people complain about the, the most minute thing in their day, you know? And I'm like, I don't care at all. What are you trying to achieve with this conversation? You know, and it's just an interesting thing. So you go out to clubs and you're just like, I mean, have you tried like just talking to people? My friends make me go out sometimes. <laughs> they sort of drag me out. They're like, oh, Mike, you have to go out at least like once a month. And I'll go out and I'll be like sort of dancing. And then I won't try to talk to anyone because we live in a society now where it's really weird. You go up to someone and someone might be offended, you know, when you're, you're generally trying to get to know someone. Um, and people in relationships go to clubs. So you don't want to be the asshole who goes up to a yeah. person who's in a relationship. Exactly. And I also lived in Portland. And so I know everyone here. I grew up here. So I see the same people over and over again. And, you know, knowing from where those people are in their lives, you know, there's, there's so many people when I grew up, you know, there are, you know, superstars in sports, right? These middle school, high school, you know, college people that eventually they don't go pro. So they just take normal jobs. But at that time, they treat you like shit because they think they're, they're going to be like this pro athlete in the NFL. And when you see the reality of it and you look at my life where it's like, I was almost the opposite. I was so quiet. People would see me at um, house parties at OSU holding the same beer all night, sipping on it, just sitting on the stairs. And people were like, oh, this, this guy's so quiet. He, he must be really weird. But majority of the time, I just didn't know what to say because it's like, I don't have anything to say to you, you know, while you're drunk. So I'm not going to even make the effort. And to see where my life is now, People are like, oh, hey, Mike, remember when we used to be good friends? Like, dude, we didn't, we weren't friends at all. You were just there because it was the house that I had rented for a party. So it's, it's a lot of, I don't know, it's, I hate saying that, I hate saying this, especially on your show, because I know people will listen to it. And those people would be like, oh, is he talking about me? You're but, not talking about any of them explicitly, yeah, not talking about any in general, but it's <laughs> yeah. finding friends and finding people to connect with as an adult now, as an entrepreneur is really difficult. I think everyone has troubles with that everyone I talk yeah. to is like, it's hard to make friends. And I think it isn't in the sense that I think, um, TV shows like friends in the office and parks and rec have given us a false expectation of what friends are. Friends aren't people who will drop everything in their life to help you every other day because you're not the star of a TV show. Like it's not real, but everyone has this fake real, like this fake idea of what like a group of close friends or colleagues are. It's almost never that, you know? Yeah, like now friendship for me is like I can count the amount of friends I have on my hands, you know, and those people are the people that I know they're always going to be there no matter what. And some of them are even closer than my own family. Uh, so right now, as I grow and I'm only 25 to talk about this is like sort of depressing in a way, you know, because <laughs> I get to live so much longer. But um, my focus right now isn't the friends and the relationship. 
maybe because I know that eventually it'll get there, but becoming a good person, helping more people, people will look at you in a more respectful way and be like, okay, you know, yeah, he might not be able to spend time with us, but he's, he's doing it for a reason. He's trying to do good in the world. And eventually those people, the right people in your life will just come. It's natural. Yeah. Respect is an interesting thing because it, the people who, who put out the air of like, I should be respected the most, I respect the least because it's like, come on, like, who are you trying to fool? You know, I think it is. But then you shouldn't also be humble. Like, I think it's just a good balance of like just doing your best, but also being like a really down to earth, personable, personable person, you know? I think for me, yeah, I always tell people that doing good is normal. It shouldn't be something that's rewarded all the time. And I all the time, and when it comes to social media, that's when you see everything. Whereas if someone does something good, they want to post a picture about it or like, my biggest issue with social media right now are all these Forex traders, entrepreneurs on Instagram that they're like, oh, let me help your, your life and all this. But I want you to pay, again, $250, $300 in the sense that for them, if they're talking about this entrepreneurship and how they're, they're just big, you know, they make so much money, it doesn't seem like they're helping the world at all. And for me, it's helping the world in silence and then eventually, you know, the rewards, if it's monetary, will come with it. Mm -hmm. Or come back on my show once my show's way bigger and share yeah. it that way. I'm looking, you never know. <laughs> you never know. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it, man. I mean, it's been, it, it has grown significantly faster than I expected it to. Um, but obviously you can't start a business and then in five months be like, oh, it's all successful now. But I'm like, I'm excited in three years or four years to be in a place where I could even influence local politics and stuff like have on. Um, and man, I'm going to have Albert Lee who I've looked at all his stuff. I'm like, dude, I fucking love what you stand for. And that would be cool if it actually made a large impact on the elections and stuff, or just like a local musician, um, I happen to listen to, I could actually give him an audience, you know, cause people already be listening on Spotify and shit. I saw that you had like almost over 50 episodes yeah. and I was like, wow, this, cause I've, <laughs> I've been on a lot of podcasts before yeah. and there's a lot of people that are like, oh, I'm gonna do the podcast game for a while. And you know, it sort of trinkles off because you know, they look at the numbers a lot. They, they don't really understand that you're having conversations with people that can really help you in the long run, as long as you're willing to just stick through it. Yeah. So, so is this what you're doing now or you're, are, this is, this is what I'm doing now. I mean, have you looked into me at all? Hopefully not. Not, not much okay, from good, the good, Instagram. Good. I was just going to say, because um, a long time ago, made an album, and it made me realize I am not into music. It's just not my... Because I don't want to tour. I don't want to be... I don't want to have my life and my livelihood and my family depend on me traveling, because then I can't be home with my family. Like, it was just kind of prioritizing my values in life kind of thing. And I'm like, all right, I can't be a musician. Also, I'm not that good at it. Um, tried writing a book, and I'm like, dude, like, it is pulling teeth to have someone read today. You know, people don't read and I'm like, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm just not that good at it. So I made a screenplay. I actually like that. I do think I'm going to make it into a movie one day. That's like far down the list. That's like whatever my businesses become so successful that I can afford to pay a bunch of actors and people to have fun and make a really good movie. That'll be fun. Um, but now I'm doing this and I love it, man. Every single person I meet, it's like a, it's a good way to network, help people out, help myself out. It's like one of those you can influence the way in, in the world around you in many ways, like just helping them like the super selfless way, but you're still getting good out of it because you feel good from it. Or you can super selfishly like help, like help yourself at the expense of the world. I think there are a million ways to help both yourself and the world around you. For sure. So that's what I'm focusing on. <laughs> that's great to hear just because you're also very young yourself and be able to recognize, you know, this isn't working for me. I have to move on. It, it may be hard, but you know, it's, it's a lot of things that, you know, sometimes people don't recognize that step, especially when you, 
you love something, you go to college for it, and you're like, and you graduate, you're like, okay, I'm gonna do this for the rest of my life. That sentence in itself is so weird to think about that you will work for the rest of your life. So if you don't love what you do and you just do the same thing over and over, you don't adapt. This is like, you do this till you're 80. And people our age, especially if you work at a company, your retirement isn't until really late in life. By the time you're 80, like, well, what can you do? You might be like, on a cane by that time I or something know. like that. And people live for that time. Exactly. Like my dad right sense. now, he's like, I'm going to retire in three years. And all he does, he takes vacation dates from work so he can stay at home, which is a very weird thing to think about. Like you work all your life and you tell me that, you know, you should work and you should have all the success. But when I look at him, he's waiting for retire. It's just such a weird thing to think about. Like, is this what especially, life is? Especially because a lot of those people hate their time off. Like they don't like having nothing to do. Like a lot of people aren't good at, I think maybe what you do sometimes is just having a whole week of nothing to do. People go crazy. I think a lot of people do need something to just like a task to keep them going, you know? So then they say, I'm going to live for retirement and then they retire and then they just go downhill because they're like, you know, I have no purpose and I have nothing, like nothing to wake up for in the morning. That's a weird thing to not have a reason to wake up in the morning. Well, for sure, I think on top topic of that, my friend uh, Nichelle, she recently told me that I have to learn how to do nothing because right now, like when I'm not traveling and I'm not doing these activities, I'm just sitting there. I'm like, holy crap, <laughs> I'm looking through my phone and it's like, I have to do this, I have to do this. And yeah. after I do all these things, which takes three hours, it's 11 a.m. and I'm already having anxiety and stress of not yeah. doing enough. Yeah, because you've so, been on the fucking the horrible box, horrible whatever screen for two hours. Yeah. so It's, it's addicting. It, it is. So right now it's for me, it's I'm sort of trying to listen to more nice music, more calm music. Nice. Not these. I'll listen to EDM though. I love yeah, EDM, but yeah. it's like something that will be peaceful and calm and just maybe try to watch something on Netflix. But for me, it's always like, I wonder if I could be helping someone right now in the time I'm relaxing. But you have to take that time for yourself. If not, you know, you're going to self-destruct for sure. And that's like the biggest thing I think as entrepreneurs you have to take the time. You, you can't do everything in the world. No, uh, It's weird to do this, but I'm going to invite you on the show. Do you want to go to a 10-day Vipassana ten, uh, silent meditation retreat in April with me? It's free. Where is it at? It's in on Alaska. It's halfway between here and Seattle. So it's an hour and a half north of here. Oh, and, sure. Um, yeah, I'll be down. Right? That's what Jack Dorsey went on that. And he said it was one of the single most profound things he did in his life. And he's going to go on another 10-day and then try for a 30-day. Well, what is it like? Do you have like a summary of what this experience is like? Is it what you just meditate or something or? Yeah, you just, it, it's following like the most, um, the, the basic foundation of Buddhism of just like, like, just like looking within yourself and like, you kind of like experience pain from sitting all day for 10 days and you look into like, all right, what is pain? Why am I experiencing it? What are these signals to my body? What am I tr doing? People say it's hell, but it's the most profound and worthwhile experience of their life. Without a doubt, almost everyone says that. I'm like, fuck, I'll go. <laughs> yeah, it sounds interesting. Might as well, you know, yeah. you never know. I know, I know. In the worst case scenario, I'm like, that's 10 days, you know? But the fact that Jack Dorsey, someone who I respect immensely, said that about that, like, I mean, he made, he, he was the CEO of, he still is, but at that time of Squarespace and Twitter, or Square and Twitter. I'm like, if he can find 10 days to go sit silently, it just breaks you of the, the habit of, I need to be doing something. Like you finish doing something, you pull out your phone and then you, and then you're like, go make tea. And then you go sit down and watch TV. And then you're texting this, like always doing something. It breaks you of that. Like you don't need to be doing something. Just existing is enough. You know, I'm pumped. You shouldn't, uh, Jack Dorsey actually comes to Portland all the time. Yeah. I've met a lot of his uh, staff that works at Twitter here, and he always is just hanging at their house. So maybe you should invite him. I'm pretty sure he would be down. 
to come on a small show? <laughs> yeah, it doesn't matter. I think, you know, like he is so interesting. You know, the whole on like save a tree kind of thing that, you know, Mr. Beast did on YouTube that he, he contributed a lot of his money to that too. So it's, it's, it's nice to see CEOs and, and that, that like to have fun and do those kind of things. I like, dude, I hate the thing. Okay. So I like Bernie, but I hate the thing that a lot of Bernie people just hate billionaires. How the fuck do you hate billionaires? Like people like Elon Musk, they're like, he has $50 billion. I'm like, if you just look at his equity shares in Tesla, that's 40 billion of his $52 billion. He can't sell that. That's his money. If Tesla goes bankrupt, he loses that. And people will be like, oh, they're just hoarding all this wealth. I'm like, no, maybe companies like Apple with like $200 billion in an offshore frozen bank account because they put it through Scotland and then kept it in Ireland or whatever. Like that's bad because it's it's like sucking money out of the economy. But like people who are, I think he has 50,000 employees at Tesla and through parts, 250,000 people that he's feeding. I'm like, those are not the enemy. You know, I'm like, I don't know. Are you against billionaires before I just bowed off? Oh, it's like, I don't know. Like I try not to be political just from a business standpoint, but for me, it's always like, it just depends. Cause if you had all, and it, it always stems back to all this kind of talk on social media of people are being millionaires, right? Why aren't they helping the world? You know, Elon Musk, he's trying to do his part, you know, and uh, same thing as Bill Gates. Bill Gates with, you know, he's, he's trying to fight, um, I think, uh, it's like, it's not AIDS, it's something else, malaria, and people are still, you know, shit on Bill Gates all the time. And so it's like, what do you people want in the world? You know, do you want people to help? Do you want money? Because there has, there's this middle ground where all these things can happen at the same time. And part of it might be that if you have a lot of money and you help people, you're going to get shit. I get shit all the time where I, I'm like, why don't you help the Asian community? You help all these other communities. It's, well, the Asian community doesn't really show me any love. You know, when I tried to attempt to do something for them, they say that, you know, okay, but you're not a doctor. You know, you're not real. <laughs> yeah. But I can is, your, still- is the culture that strong? They can't just, they can't just get over it? I'm, I'm pretty sure it's that strong. And it's always because... At a young age, your parents take care of you a lot. And so the, it's that social pressure of these are almost at an upper level than you in society in a kind of way. And for you, for me to break out and, be, and tell my mom and dad, like, oh, yeah, mom, I graduated from OSU, took half, more than half a decade, spent over $200,000 on, you know, two science degrees. I'm going to be an entrepreneur. And they have no clue what that is. And so to take that challenge and really reflect, but also show that for me, I came from nothing that you can possibly get there. Anyone can get there if they started as what I did. But you just had to take a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication, and everything successful in life takes the sacrifice that sometimes, you know, people aren't willing to take. Like, I have to accept that I've lost the people and cut off the people I have in my life. And I can't take that back. I can only look ahead of the future and know that, okay, I'm in this spot now. How can I better myself? How can I better the people around me? And so that's just something you have to be positive about. You know, it's a lot of people are pessimistic about, you know, I've done talks before and they're at different universities and they're like, oh, but I'm not like you. I'm not smart. Well, I'm not smart either. I graduated OSU with a 2.7, barely graduated. And OSU almost kicked me out twice for having just like failed too many classes. And so life is so long. And I, th- I think people, if anything, that people listen to your podcast to understand for me is that dreams are very real in life. Ambitions. They're hard. They're all just of hard. It. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I, I don't want to, I don't know, stereotype you too hard, but you seem like a, like a f- earlier step of Andrew Yang. Do you see him as like an eventual, like, I mean, he started as an entrepreneur before he's running for president. I've been following know? a lot of Andrew Yang. Like, yeah. Like, maybe because he's a, like, he's an Asian I, guy running he's for president. An, he's an Asian entrepreneur. Yeah. You know, like, I'm like, oh, like, I don't mean to like stereotype no, you no, too no, hard, but, sure. how, but how do you see him? It's when it comes to politics, it's like. I don't know. When Donald Trump got elected, I remember where I was exactly. I was at school and I was studying for a final. I was like, you don't have to. I don't have to study anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, this is so weird because it's like, like I said, dreams happen. Right? I don't know. Donald Trump's dream was the president and it happens. You know, anything can happen. So, you know, back to like Andrew Yang, like his whole $1,000 thing, you know, the freedom dividend. It's, it seems like a crazy thing to do. But if it works, you know, I, I'm pretty sure it, it would help a lot of people because there's economies and like communities specifically here in Portland that if you can put that in uh, the community of people of color and that money is recycled within the community, that will help a lot. Here's the thing. I, I, I've been outspoken against UBI for a couple of reasons, but I would actually almost say yes but once a month, you should have to go to some sort of class on how to usefully spend money. I agree. I okay. completely agree on that. I'm like, you can't just give people money with now any, because the reason that they probably don't have any money is aside from societal like discrimination, like which I do, there is definitely laws and stuff that perpetually keep people down. But I'm saying it's because they're probably not good at money because they were never taught how to be good with money because school definitely doesn't teach you that. And if your parents weren't good at money, how the fuck would you learn? And if you think about it, majority of the world, if they did receive the 1000 it would probably not go in a good place, you know, like unless you learn money management and learn that you can grow $1,000, like you can't keep it in the bank. If you invest it, it can grow slowly. But when people, when you talk about the word slowly, everyone's like, oh, fuck that, you know, I'd rather just take that out and spend it on a weekend going out for 200 bucks rather than investing it and not seeing it for a while. And so it's just weird mindset. And again, it's such a weird fucking system we live in, right? And how that a lot of these people and and not no terms that it makes me feel like I'm a better person than anyone else. You know, that's not what I'm going at. It's that a lot of people are almost like they have this veil that's, you know, over their eyes of what happiness and success is. It's entirely not money. And it's for me, it's not money. I don't you know think, about you. Do you think it's status? I don't think it's status either. I think it's being happy with yourself wholly, like a wholesome of yourself. And that if you're happy with yourself, then that should be enough in life. Yeah, but I'm there, but I'm not there financially. I I would say finance is because, I mean, my mantra now, the four things everyone wants, it used to be three, happy, healthy, and wealthy, but I think everyone wants to be happy, healthy, wealthy, and free Mm -hmm. because, but you can never have free until you're financially free. Exactly. And I mean, when I came back from Kauai, a trip that I went on for nine days, I came back with $6 in my bank account. Yeah. So I'm like, like the idea of like financial freedom is not there. And then I just had to work my ass off, like staying up all night to, um, to just make enough money for, to pay for gas and shit. So I'm like from, but I've, I mean, I'll stub my toe. I'll like fail a job interview or whatever. And I never get sad. Like I think I'm perpetually happy just because I've connected some dots from my own life and, and developed a, a rationale that works for me. Um, so now it's like my main driving goal in life is to become to a place where I'm financially independent but not by working for someone else, you know? Yeah, I think to put your value in a company's hands is really weird because literally in a minute, they can replace you with someone else. Like, just say, to, to go up to someone and be like, hey, you're worth 12 bucks an hour. And for other people to be like, hey, you're worth $250 an hour. <laughs> you're putting like a value on like a human life, which is a weird thing to think about, you know? My so, times, I would rather have a lot of time with no money 
than a lot of money, but no time. Exactly. Because at the end of the day, like we're all going to die, you we're know, all at, fucking at, die, at, dude. at one point, like, what are you gonna do with all this money? Mm-hmm. You know, you should do something with your life that you're actually happy about. You know, in a way, America is very like everyone seems like servants to a, a system. And for you to break out that system, it's just so not normal. And people look down at you and be like, oh, get back in line. You know, do, do the thing that everyone else does. It's it's simple. You know, it's it's shown results. But for me, that's not it. You know, and I'm pretty sure for you, you'll understand and you're understanding now that this isn't like this isn't life. No. And, and, and it's just not a system that I want to pay into because it's like, all right, where's that money going? It's not going toward making other people happier, healthy and wealthier. It's, it is going toward bombing brown children across the world and going into, you know, just like a lot of things that I'm like, I don't want my money to go there. And then you realize I'm extrapolating here, but everyone in power is pedophiles, yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and I'm like, okay, you know what? I don't really necessarily want to pay into that. Um, and, I, and I mean, I'm working in a different way, but it's so weird to be an entrepreneur at the beginning of something when you're not making money. Cause that's how mm-hmm. everyone will value your success by. Yes. And I'm just like, I don't know, just trust me guys. It, it, it'll come together, you know? Um, and I've only said this to a few guests, like one or maybe two guests, but you strike me as top five most, how would I say it, present and mindful people that I've met. I try and to be. Did that develop over like reading a book or just some time alone? Or like, how did you, how'd you become here awake present? Um, I think part of it is going through the education system, knowing that education wasn't for me and that I was surrounded myself with people that every time I had an opinion or that they would just shut it down. And so for me, it was the journey of going on this self-awareness of this is who I am. This is what I can actually do, but really building a team of, you know, maybe two or three people around me. And it's only recently become maybe a year, year and a half where I've found those people mm. that are always supportive no matter yeah. what. It's hard to find. I'm, I'm still trying to find a couple of people because until you did you offer you had money to offer them before they would come work for you. Or did you find people who like signed on to work with you before money was a thing? So for me, when it came to like originally building faint media itself, my first big investment was from Samsung. I had worked for Samsung for free for maybe two to three years doing marketing for them. And then eventually I talked about, you know, having this, so faint media, faint means barely perceptible. So it was creating a media company that would tell stories that, you know, would go underlooked. And I always talk a bunch of shit, like I'm gonna do this, I'm gonna do that. And you know, for a big company, if you looked at a person that looked like a lot of potential, what's the risk of giving them 50 grand, you know, especially if you're a large company. And so I was really lucky in that sense where I think for me, it, I guess it is luck in the base wise, but for me, it's taking that luck and really taking the opportunity and producing something else out of it. So do they own a percent of your company? No, they just straight up gave me money. That is so cool. So that's why it's extremely lucky because a lot of people would want as a young entrepreneur, I want 90%, I want 80% or something like that. Mm -hmm. So they, they took no equity in it. They just straight up gave me money and like, Okay, we believe in you. And then from that, you know, I was able to raise more money. And as my mind developed into like the humanity standpoint, right? For me, I'm not selling a product. I'm selling a concept for the future, which is a huge thing to think about when it's with all these innovations and tech tech I'm working on right now is to better the world. So I have all these solutions. I'm trying to develop all these things, better the world in some way for a human being. And that's why when it comes back to your, your question, you know, when did I become aware of all this kind of issues and that it's by living. And when you work a nine to five job that you hate, you can't live, you can't experience those things. 
and being young and like and by the time I will be 30, I'll have almost eight to 10 years of experience of dealing with, you know, humanity issues, business, press and all that. And for that, that again, gives me all the experience. So the more experience in life you, you have good or bad, it helps you prepare for whatever issues there is. hundred percent. Um, kind of funny along those lines. When I was at OSU, I worked with, um, at-risk youth like as like an exercise thing like I worked with a researcher who was kind of getting ready to research them but like I was starting implementing the camps you just hang out with like kids who are homeless who like their parents they were taken away from their parents for some reason and I had no idea I'm like oh they probably smoked weed and just got in trouble or something um but then I went and sort of life coached someone who had gone through childhood trauma and hearing about what it's actually happens I was like those kids and I was just acting like a dummy just having a fun time and I was like Bad things happen to kids in this world. It's unbelievable. It's and it's crazy because those kids then grow up to, in society, and again, the system looks at these kids and perpetuates them. And then just like oh, majority of these kids will go to jail. Let's you know, let's not really care about them. And the small percentage of people that actually do care, they're paid by the government minimum wage. You know, our system right now is when it comes to mental health and like. Um, abuse you know from children or like you know any domestic abuse it's so weird it's like flip-flopped you know we pay those people the most minimum but we pay the government individuals in the government to run these establishments a lot more money it just doesn't make sense in the world we live in and then you look you look at other countries right and they have a different persona of that and so for me when it comes to working with uh, kids in foster care and you know who have gone through child abuse it's like how do you solve this issue it's such a big issue in the world that uh one of the it's crazy that America, there's something called the, um, it's like a child human right law, right? That was signed in 1994. America is the only one that has not signed that in the whole entire United, in the whole entire nation. Weird. Because whole world. Whole world? Whole yeah, nation? in the whole world. Yeah. And because uh, we make it legal in this uh, country at age 12, you can work in agriculture. Wow. Which is crazy. So 12 year olds are fucking children. Yeah, exactly. But. Because we didn't sign this law, that means that's technically illegal. Like we, so it, there's just like all these small things that um, people don't understand. And when I start putting my time in it and be like, oh my gosh, America is sort of really fucked up. The whole know, world's fucked up. Yeah, the whole world's fucked up in okay. general. But uh, America, in a sense, on different topics, are a bit more fucked up. But again, you gotta be humble that we have the chance of freedom here to do X, Y, and Z. But still fucked up, nonetheless. Yeah. No, it's weird. Being someone who's, um, I mean, are you like pro-capitalism? Like you seem someone who is a free market kind of guy, but then you also seem like socially someone who's very aware of poverty and the fact that wealth is accumulating with a few people. Like how do you, how do you kind of juxtapose those two thoughts in your mind? Oh, this is always the hardest question. People ask <laughs> yeah. me all that time because I, fr- I have friends that are like, oh, capitalism is bad. You know, it's, and, and. And I understand that. And they're like, oh, you're, you're my only rich friend. And they're like, and I hate when people say that. It's, it's a sort of weird thing. But it's, I think capitalism, technically, for me, I translate it as there's a freedom to create. You have the choice to create or not. You know, you can walk down the street to the left or the right, and that will lead your life entirely different every single moment of your life. But your choices have matter. You know, there's a reaction to everything you do. So you just have to be conscious about that. So I'm very conscious that, you know, I'm very lucky to be the position that I am. And I want to use that to help, you know, as many people as I can. And for me, if I, 
I just need to make at least 70 grand a year. That's what it is for a living, like uh, being able to live here in Portland. Everything else for me, like can be given away because again, at a young age, I didn't have much and I was quote unquote happy, you know? And with the world we live in now, you know, people are buying new iPhones, Teslas and all that. And they're like, oh, I'm really happy. But for me, it's like, okay, if that's your happiness, that is for you. Yeah. For me, happiness. But you know it's not. You know yeah. it's not their happiness. Exactly. <laughs> it's always the people around you that will make you happy at the end of the day. But it's ironic because you said you're lonelier, exactly. but happier It's so now. fucking weird. Yeah, it's weird. It's, it's a weird thing to go. It's just a huge circle kind of thing. Because mm-hmm. for me, I care more about what people think about me when I'm dead than I am alive. Really? Yeah. Because I want to be able to leave a legacy. And it's not a monetary legacy. It's a legacy that, oh, this person actually did good in the world. You know, because it's like right now while I'm alive, people are like, oh, all he does is work in that. But they don't understand why I'm working. It's to create something that for the future generation can have, even if it's just for one person. Well, you'll have the legacy of coming on the most popular podcast in the world multiple times. That'll be cool. I like it, man. You've been one of my favorite people to talk to. I appreciate Um, it. It's it's just interesting. I I find that I connect better with people who are usually more similar to me in terms of like when I talk with people who are older than me, twice my age or something, there's just a disconnect, like small jokes don't land and stuff like that. Um, and I found that interestingly enough, when I do speak with people of like different genders and races, there's always just slight disconnects in terms of like everyone's raised differently. But you, you, but I try to break it down to like, I'm just a human, like some people just buy into the, like their culture. Like some people talk like, oh, a woman is supposed to talk like this. And like uh, they see a dog and they have to say, oh, how cute and stuff like, like everyone buys into the fact that they have to act how they were told they should act. And so it's just hard to connect with a lot of people and you just don't seem like someone who buys into that. Yeah. I hate that shit. It just, it it bothers (laughs) me that people, like there's an expectation of you right in life. There's no expectation no, like, no. at all. But I think a lot of people are scared of it because like I'm sure the like when you, you said you weren't going to be a doctor, like you're scared how your parents yeah. were going to perceive Extremely. everyone's like fear based living. They just want to be like, OK, everyone still sees me as who I am. I'm not going to change. I'm going to like I'm not going to wear pink or whatever, like like clothes. A lot of people would see you maybe negatively or differently in. I don't know, dude. I think culture holds people back. Everyone's like, culture is the underpinning of society and this good thing. I'm like, I think it holds people back. It tells you, hey, be like this was a long time ago and be like, you know, like stay the same, stay the same. It's like culture doesn't respect time. Time doesn't give a fuck. Yeah. Time is good. And that's the same thing as technology. Technology has got to develop, you know, because that's how human society is. They just want to develop over time. And if you don't respect time, you're going to be far behind everyone else. And you're going to be, and you're going to complain. And then you're going to be like, oh, where was my one shot? Everyone has their one shot. It's just, again, choices. We just hit an hour. Are you tight on time or could you just go a little I can keep going if you want. Yeah, I like it, man. What are, you, what are you excited about in the future? Right now, I think it's the development of technology. All these things that we're working on, like um, I just got brought on on a team called Biomodium. And we work on exoskeletons for uh, people that have movement disorders. And to see, a ch- I saw a child walk for the first time from a wheelchair wearing the exoskeleton. And that's just like, it's just mind blowing. Cause when you tell someone, they're like, oh, that's cool. But if you really think about it, it's like, this kid can fucking walk for the first time. He can have a quote unquote, a normal life. Like that's amazing. And it's, and it goes under, and this might be that bad media sells more than good media that this is amazing news, but still we're not talking about it. Don't talk about that. And even further than that, like the new Neuralink thing that Elon Musk is coming out with yeah. where it like hooks in your brain. Everyone's like, oh, that sounds like dystopian. Like people with Parkinson's will be able to act like 
you know, normally move and shit. Like, what are you talking? And people in like vegetated wheelchairs will be able to actually like do more. I'm yep. like, what are you talking about? This is dystopian. Everyone's just so single-minded that they're like, this isn't good for me. It must be bad then. I'm like, no, oh, fuck you, you guys. Let me ask you a question then. Yeah. Do you think we're born selfish in a way? Or is that something that you think over time that people are just more selfish? Because I think people, uh, this is a hard time to talk about that. Yeah. People are selfish. Oh, yeah. Well, well I mean, I, I said it on the show a couple of times, but what's your one desire in life is to better yourself. That's everyone. That's everyone. You even said better your legacy. Even if you want to help your society, it's because you feel better. Everyone wants to be better tomorrow and a year from now than they are right now. For sure. And that I think selfish is a short term way of getting there. I think what you're doing a longer term way of being selfish in a way that again, helps society and yourself. So I think selfish is this really interesting term that people associate with just bad, Mm -hmm. but you can be selfish and selfless at the same time by like, okay, like you do, I'm going to invest in whatever these, um, tech companies that help a lot of people. And then I'm going to drive some wealth out of it 10 years down the road and all the wealth of helping these people. Like that's being selfish because you're getting something out of it. Um, so I think we're, I think selfish is very short sighted way of what we all want is to better ourselves. (laughs) Yeah. And that's a long winded answer, but you know, like I, because I mean, people always ask those answers. Like, are we born um, like greedy and hateful, and like, are is war always in us? And dude, I don't freaking know. I think everything's a mix of like nature and nurture. It's fifty fifty for yeah. sure, you know. But nurture can be a fucking bitch if like you're being beaten as a kid, and then you grow up and it's like, oh, why do you beat your wife and kids? It's like well, nurture. Probably not nature there. It's probably nurture, yeah. you know. Dude. So, what's your thoughts on uh, AI? Yeah, a little bit more specific, if you can. Um, specifically, I guess, augmented realities and virtual realities. Honestly. That's what I'm most excited about, because I think that's a very real possibility of um, like even putting it on. And I'm more excited for um, AR than VR, because mm-hmm. if we were wearing AR glasses right now and we could be sitting in space on just two chairs like talking. That'd be so fucking dope, right? It'd be fucking dope. <laughs> VR though, I don't get it because you need the special space for it. And yeah. then like, you're all like, have you seen the, do you go on Reddit? Yeah. There's a Reddit VR to ER where people are like playing and then they lean over They will smash their face on the corner of a table and shit. It's like, whoa. Okay. Like I would only play a VR game laying down pretty much because I would get caught up in it. But AR, it's like, okay, like this is still a wall right here mm-hmm. and stuff. It's just maybe like waterfall, like, like anything, you know, that excites me. Um, I don't know how much AI would probably play into it. I'm sure it's going to play into everything in our lives, but I don't think um, advanced general AI is going to happen in our lifetimes. Yeah, the whole cybernet Skynet thing, like, I don't think that's going to happen because no. it's like, it just, <laughs> it's cool to see in movies, but like in real life, you know, technology isn't going to get, like, not our time, no. by the way, is not going to happen. But. No, because, I mean, again, I'm working off what Naval says, but he's like, like, people like Elon Musk are always like, oh, it's just going to, it's going to learn them out, and then it can infinitely learn everything, but he's like, we can't even um, simulate, like, a neuron at this point. We, we have no idea how learning works, mm-hmm. and learning always works um, conceptually, so you have to build an entire environment for this thing that we already can't build. And he's like, there's just, there's no evidence that AI is actually, like, general AI, specific AI, I think we're doing incredibly well, you know, like I think, um, Neuralink, like if there's like a little glass on you for blind people that like says these inputs are like, you could almost probably build a visual environment in your head by, by just, you know, like shit like that. I'm like, I think it's going to help 
so much. It's interesting because I think it's going to help, but I think the world's gotten to a bad place with technology. So it's interesting to think that technology is going to get us out of there. Yeah, because there's, there's this huge pushback from everyone where oh, it's yeah. like, you know, this, this is going to kill us, you know. We, we can't interact with uh, each other as one-on-one human beings when, like, it's so weird in the last couple months, you see all these people that are using the AR feature on Instagram, you know, the whole, like, what kind of Pokemon you are, what kind of stuff, and it's, it's, it's almost a laughable thing in my case because it's like, I told people that it's going to be integrated in their life. Just like, if you think about it 10 years ago, if you talk about the internet, right, we have food, water, and air. Those are the things that are necessary to life. Yeah. And somehow, now internet. Yeah is a necessity in life. hundred percent is. If your internet is slowed down for like 10 minutes and that you have that buffering wheel on YouTube, you freak the fuck out. You freak out. Exactly. <laughs> so it's, it's so crazy to how that's intricate in our life now. So it's mm-hmm. like, what's next after the internet? Well, and electricity, electricity yes. and then internet. Yeah. Cause yeah, like if, if all of Portland lost, lost elect, like this is electricity dead zone, people would move away in an instant. Yep. No, who the fuck would stay here? But I, I think it's, it's so important because it allows you to leverage yourself. Like I think mm. um, the whole concept of working hard is just a complete fallacy today because if you work like in a more leveraged way, like you're creating media, you don't have to recreate it for a million people to watch it compared to one person to watch it. That will allow you to get immensely further than someone who is working an unleverageable job. Like I sell sure. single photos online where you have to ship every single one. That's so much, you know, so, so I think... I think the way to be successful in the world today is somehow incorporating technology into what you work. For sure. I think when it comes to leveraging, the two big things I've leveraged in my life is one, right now when it comes to music, being be like being able to say, oh, I went to on tour with Illinium, Chainsmokers and that. I could take that to different artists, which I'm going to be doing a couple of shows within the next few weeks. Who? Uh, they're, they're pretty much small rappers. So I want to move to EDM to just like rappers. Oh, so cool. E40. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tech Nine, I get to go on tour with them, which is a different kind of music, but it's like, you know, it's still really cool to have that kind of scene. And the other thing I've leveraged really well is uh, Jason Pfeiffer, who is the entrepreneur, uh, he's the editor in chief of Entrepreneur Magazine, actually wrote about me. And so that was a huge leverage. Is it point. local or nationwide? It's nationwide, it's in his newsletter. Dude. And so that was a huge leverage for me. So every, when that came out, I was like, oh, hey, uh, I wanna work with you. I also got on an entrepreneur magazine. Yeah. And so, like you said, leveraging is so important. Mm hmm. Uh, and it doesn't have it. It should be technology in these days because that's what's advancing. But it's literally any small thing. Yeah. Like eventually, someone's gonna be like, "Hey, I was on a tiger show." Yeah. You know. That's the goal, right? dude. And exactly. I, so. I, yeah. Here's the thing about it at the to the current place, dude. Like, I'll have you on. I'll have guests on. 10 people will reach out and say different, like positive things. Like, Holy cow. I didn't know that about the guest. I'm like, tell it to the fucking guest. Like I'm yeah. appreciative, but they're the people, like if, if you want them to come back on, they're the people who it's important to tell and shit like that. So it's like an interesting thing where I think it'll eventually get there. Like someone goes on Rogan, 10,000 people probably message them on Instagram the next day. But that's, that's my goal is to get the show somewhere where people can come on, um, and share stuff. I know one of the people I had episode 17 was with Dr. Nick Allen, who's like all a digital mental health guy and like suicide awareness and stuff. And now I'm going to be interviewing, um, the person he worked, he built this, um, this tech, like this uh, app with called Kasana health, where you measure, um, like just how you're doing, what you're eating, how you're sleeping. And it tells you like, Hey, you're kind of like at the highest risk for like falling into depression or suicide and stuff. And so like as a brand new app, they probably won't have a lot of people, but like if this show gets to the place where a hundred thousand people listen to it and like 20,000 are just in Oregon, that'll help out the community and the world at large so much more by immediately giving like new things an audience. I, don't th- I think instead of Joe Rogan's 
view of like just getting already famous people, it'd be cool to use the platform to raise people exactly. from, from obscurity. I agree with that with, with that too. But who am I to pick who, you know, that's the weird thing. That's, that's, that's the only job part of this job I want to um, hand off to other people is picking the guests. Like I would ideally want to do two shows a day, 14 shows a week. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so fucking hard to schedule shit and to reach out to people all the time. I don't know, man. I'm looking forward to bringing on eventually two people to this, this team that I'm doing. Um, so you worked for how long before you eventually got two employees or how many do you have? I have 70. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, I have a lot. And originally it was a small team. And then as the money started coming in, I'm building a digital product. There's no overhead cost of that. Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of money that you can spend. And again, I only needed 70 grand a year. You know, so I, 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 and that's just a mindset that I understood that I wanted to grow this. Yeah. And so eventually after I got the Samsung and the, uh, investment and I did that for maybe a year and a half, I traveled to New York. I was like, I needed money and New York was the place to do it. So I stayed there for maybe a couple of months and I was like, shit, I hate this place. It's just, it's not like Oregon. You know, I want some piece of my life. I love to nature, work. Nature. Yeah, exactly. And so I came back, but we still have an office there. And so pretty much the focus for faint media when it started was to just create media, right? For different uh, corporate uh, companies like Samsung, other Fortune 500 companies. But now it's sort of developing into a technology venture capitalist kind of thing where I want to help the world. Yeah. And so the big switch from, you know, because originally I wanted to be a chef growing up. Yeah. Going from food to media (laughs) to technology, people are like, what the fuck is this kid doing? But like, again, expectations in life. Mm -hmm. I don't really care what people think about me. Yeah. You know, one for one one year, someone might be like, "Oh, he was he was cooking like he wanted to build a restaurant one day, and now he's working with media, and now he's working with like kids on the spectrum, and now he's building this kind of tech thing." What the fuck's going on? I love it when people ask me that and are like flabbergasted of like what I'm doing. Yeah, but it's all, it it's shows a, growth. It does, but it's always weird when people are like, "What are you up to?" And you're like, oh, "Where to start?" You know, and then you don't want to be someone who just like incites envy in others by by like almost bragging. Yes, exactly. So you want to be like, I'm just doing like this thing, you know, it's a weird thing. That's like something I avoid at all costs is inciting envy in others. So I'm like, I I almost play down my successes because who wants to talk to someone who's just like, okay, look, we get it. You're like, you know, you're doing, it's a weird. That's why my parents, uh, my uh, parents, uh, friends asked what I do. She's like, Oh, he does business. That's all it is. You know, that's, and that's a pretty good answer to just put in like that big niche of a category is just business. Uh, do you fuck with crypto? Kind of oh, I did. <laughs> you did? Yeah. And I fucking lost. Uh, like, I, I got in right when it was like really booming. I was like, okay, eight, nine, ten thousand $10,000. It's going to yeah. hit $20,000. Yeah. I put so much money into it and now it's dropped like yeah. 6000 You didn't buy it at 20 grand, did you? No. But uh, <laughs> I bought it at like nine ten when it was like okay. pretty much yeah. peaking already. But just think, just think about that. It's like crypto is almost like life. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you never expect what's going to happen. You know, like right now we're, we're talking in this, we're doing a podcast here. I can literally walk out and get hit by a bus right now. I know. know? That's how crazy life is. It's crazy. And that's why, you know, when I do traveling and that I love nature because nature doesn't give a fuck about you. It's so humble in the way that, you know, if I go snowboarding and I die in an avalanche. Yeah. Nature doesn't care. Nature doesn't care. It, it moves bank, on. Yeah. Your bank account will be like, what the fuck? Just because I've never talked with anyone else who was like trading a little bit. Were you in it when um, that elfin went up like two, like 200, like it, not even 200%. I think it went from like five bucks to 125 bucks in a day, got locked, dropped down to 75, got locked like for like two months. And then, then it went away. Oh, wow. It was, that was crazy. And then what was that movie pass? The movie pass. Um, 
Did you, do you know about that movie pass? Like the people who sell a credit card for a movie theater? I think so. Yeah. Like I heard about yeah, that. It went up a thousand percent over a month and then it went down to like pretty much below where it was. So everyone just kept buying it. They're like, it'll go down tomorrow. It'll go down tomorrow. But it just kept going up and up and up and up. And it went from two to 20 bucks over the course of a month. That's the crazy thing about like stocks too. Like <sighs> you look at the, you look at all these um, patterns, you're like, Okay, I'm gonna wait till this day, but if yeah. you're going up, I'm gonna wait till again. Oh my god. And then you're like, fuck. <laughs> it's just regret. Yeah. It's regret if you sell it too early, if you buy it too late. It's only regret if you didn't hold it long enough, you sold it and then it went up another 10%. You're like, fucking A, dude. I know. So it's for me, it's always like I trade. If I do trade, it's two hours in the morning and I'm done. Nice. Yeah. That's got to be. Here, yeah. you know, live that live my be. other life. Yeah, it, it, I just found myself waking up early and earlier. Then I'd get up at 4 a.m. and watch the like the futures. And then I, you know, and then I pretty much gamble. Like I, I just gambled for pretty much a year. It was the earliest I ever woke up. Um, and it was like, I, I haven't told anyone how it actually went. I made my first bit of money on the movie pass going up. And I'm like, oh, that's so easy. I made 200 bucks. That's as much as I would have made in, you know, two days working yeah. minimum wage. I made that in 20 minutes. Holy fucking shit. So I put in all my money, got all the money I oh, could fuck. put it all in there. Um, and then I went up like a couple to like, you know, 200, 300 bucks more. And then I went down 500. And then I think my lowest, I was down two grand. And then I went all the way back up to two baseline. And instead of being like, whoo, I'm going to call it good. I went down like 200 more. And then I'm like, I'm, I'm not going through that again. Like literally going down two grand for like three months and like slowly working yeah. myself up. And then I'm like, cool, I'm good. I'm going to gamble again instead of like playing it super smart. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to use my time somewhere else. Cause it was just, it was weighing on me the amount mm -hmm. of regret with every trade and like, Oh, I traded, um, whatever this one, this biotech, um, and it went down, but that one tripled today. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. It was regret so much. So I'm like, this just isn't the one for me. Yeah. I have like notifications when like stock goes up and then like, and I still have some old notifications. Yeah. My note, my, my notice literally says, Oh, you're fucked. <laughs> that's, that's literally what my note says on yeah. like some of these stocks. So it's like, it's, it's a hard thing to do, mm -hmm. but it's like, you make money in it, but I, I think there's a, I would say safer ways. Yeah. And you're, you're and at a place it. where you just don't want to focus on that now, unless you see something where you're like, that's definitely yeah. like a good sign. That's a good place to be. I think if the more pressure you have on it, like this is my income and I need 70 grand a year, mm -hmm. then you're fucked. Yeah, for <laughs> sure. So it's, it's, it's a crazy thing to think about because like money is just, money's everything now. Money's you everything. Know, as hard as it is to say, it's like. If you want to be able to make a choice to help other people, you need to have money. So that was the big indication for me as, you know, as an entrepreneur, I was like, oh, I want to help all these people, but how am I going to do that with, you know, if I'm, if I don't have a successful business? So that was the focus for the first three years. And I thought it was going to take me till I was 30. I thought it was gonna take me seven years. It took me about half that time, less than half, like three, four years. So I'm extremely fortunate for that. So I'm using the rest of the time now to like better humanity because I think life for me doesn't really start till I'm like 30. <laughs> Really? You know, yeah, I think um, like I talk about relationships and all that, and it, it is important. But you know, people are getting married later in the stages of life. People are pursuing you know careers more. And for me, it's like thirty is really young for me. You know. Yeah. And that for you, but if you're dating a woman who's also thirty, she's got like one year to have it, start having a first kid. That's true. Too. You know. That's yeah. the fucking the difference between men and women. It's like having a kid's a big part of a woman's life. And they have a time limit on that. Whereas guys, we could be 40 and have a kid 50, you know? So I think that part of the, the wage gap or whatever it is, is really unfair in terms of, we don't have to put 
it on pause for a couple of years, right? And right when it's getting going, like, I assume your life will be like, holy shit, super accelerating in your early thirties, you know? It's fucking weird, man. Um, well, right now, I'm, I've been looking for a house this whole entire year. Didn't you get one? I think I saw it on your Instagram or your Insta story like a while ago. Yeah, I've been apartment. looking at houses. My friend, uh, Nat, he's a real estate agent. He showed me these like really nice houses. But it's that's the thing. It's either family or that bachelor life. Mm. I was looking at this one place. Uh, it's it's about a million dollars. And um, it's pretty much like a penthouse kind of thing. But that's like the bachelor life. It's like the highest building on the east east side here on the in portland and you can see everything you can see mountains and all that or do i use the same money and buy a nice family house with four or five bedrooms yeah so it's that kind of lifestyle where and obviously if you buy property it's going to go up anyways here in uh portland mm-hmm. so it's a good investment but it's like that lifestyle change i don't think i can i don't see myself as a family person yeah and you can always date 25 year olds. If you're 35, like you could still date a woman who could have a kid later. Um, um, a bunch of women are going to hate me right now. You don't even have to respond to this. <laughs> no, I'm- but it's like, you know, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah, he's dating yeah, right? half his age. That's so fucking weird. I think he capped out at 24. Did you see a graph recently of like all the is girls' it 25? ages? Is it 25? Yeah, 25, right? yeah, like he yeah. don't won't date anyone over that. And he's like 52 now or something. Yeah, it's crazy. It's, it's crazy, man. But I don't know, dude. I think I wouldn't like that. Like, it's interesting. Someone else said you don't want to date a lot of women younger than you because you can't relate to them. And like, I agree in terms of like, my partner is my best friend. Like she, we actually How long guys been uh, together now. Uh, three years. That's and it, the thing is, it's actually gotten better and easier. Like at the beginning, there's always like this weird, like as much as it shouldn't be like, like, are they like going and like, are they going to go like on a hike with like, what are they like, are they mm. going and hang out with another dude? And a lot of people will say thinking about a relationship that way is like, Oh, that's so overprotect. Like, um, selfish and stuff but yeah. like put it this way if you and a person get together of a different sex and if i choose to spend my time investing it in hanging out with another girl instead of her i don't think that's fair to her it's yeah. like you know why wouldn't i go on a hike with her instead you know um unless it's purely business really like when i have girls mm-hmm. on the show and stuff that's different but it's such a weird thing to be like young and try to find someone with similar things like it's like i'm not going to go out to a bar because people who go out to bars go out to bars to get laid for the most part. hundred percent. People are lying if they're in a relationship. They're like, no, I just go have fun and dance and get really drunk. It's like, it, it's, it was really interesting to find someone who had a similar set of values in the sense that um, we both like are kind of protective of each other. But it feels mm-hmm. good to have someone like want to be selfish about you. Like to have, like not in like a freak way, like, no, you can't do something. But just to be like, like, come on, you know. So it was really interesting to find someone that I really click with. And it's just gotten easier and easier to the point where I'm like, I have total and complete faith and trust in her. Um, and she's my first like long-term relationship. That's great. It's weird. Like for me right now, it's like, like you said, I, because I'm at the level I am when it comes to, I guess my career, it's hard to have those conversations with, you know, like, I don't like using the term normal people because everyone is, you know, abnormal in a way, but it's like people that care about different things. Um, and so I've been talking to this person for like two years. I've had this crush on this person for two years and, uh, I just, and, and we've, I've had this conversation with her before and she, she doesn't like commitment. And for me, it's like, I'm not here all the time technically either. Yeah. So, but it's, it's always, uh, it's hard when you meet someone that has, you see has a lot of potential in themselves, but you don't want to, from a business standpoint and also like a, um, like a psychological that like you see that they have a lot of potential. That's why I have feelings for this person for so long. Yeah. You want to see them grow. Right. Totally. But again, 
what, what, what is it for you to tell someone that they can grow? Yeah. That's all on them. I had to do that. I, I talked Kenzie out of her dream job. She was riding horses professionally. Holy shit. I talked her out of her dream job because I'm like, you're going to get injured. You're not going to make money. And then you're going to be old and crippled. And it's going to suck. Like, like I had to kind of like be like, you should go on. Now she's going to school for nursing because she, she likes helping mm-hmm. people. Um, How is that? conversation it was brutal dude and and honestly like i'm not a a super big animal person so so it was just like me being like hey you should adopt my values but not in like a way that's like that like it took probably two years of me just being like like she started getting bad headaches from falling off the horse and then she'd have migraines every day and i'd be like yeah imagine falling off a horse 20 more times in the next 10 years like how are you gonna be able it was a weird thing kind of instilling values on someone else but she's instilled values on me I, don't I think know. It's, it's a mutual thing. It's a mutual thing. And in the sense for me, because I'm so aggressive about what I, I, <laughs> yeah. I do, I think the person that I like, I, I have feelings for now is always like, uh, I think we had a conversation uh, just literally a week ago and I talked about uh, this project I'm working with, the autism, and she also works in the autism field. And I wanted her to come on a team and doing business with someone you have feelings for is like, it's weird. It's like, uh, it's just a weird thing to be like, oh, you, you should come work for me, that kind of thing. Because it's like, it's... I always try to not mix friends, families when it comes to business and that. But for her, it's like, I want to show you that you can have a much better life than you have now. And you know it too. You just don't know how to really say it out loud or really explore those options. And I want to give you that, you know, little shove. But, you know, sometimes that shove to someone might be like, you don't know me, blah, blah, blah. And it can really turn to a very toxic thing. But again, I think once you get to a place where I'm not even going to be like, oh, where we're at. But like at a place where you're like. I assume you just don't have like, you don't overthink other people's like, it's easy to read people at a certain point, you know? Exactly. When you have so much experience in yes. life with various, you know, topics. Yeah. Like if someone does something to me and I could perceive it as bad, I just look at it. I'm like, well, what were their intentions? Cause intentions and actions are usually very different things. So it's like, but like other people, like when I act a certain way or I'm like, kind of like whatever, like people have multiple times told me like, you come off really rude or something like that. And I'm like, I just don't care. Like what, like what? So I think that situation stops happening when people have lived more, you know, yeah. I don't know, man. But that's again, <laughs> comes to the, the, the thing that we've been talking about. It was almost like a theme, right. Of living. Like, how do you want to live your life? Is it going to be like, you know, doing the same thing for five, 10 years at minimum wage and then finding out like, I want to start a new life, but now you feel stuck. Cause you feel you have maybe bills to pay, maybe a family, a kid. So it's, everyone is, you know, to their own kind of life. Yeah. I have a few people who have been supporting my show from the start. And as soon as this becomes successful, my goal is to financially free mm-hmm. as many of the people who have been so, like supportive of this from the beginning. Um, not that like, I mean, they're, they're doing trade jobs and stuff that are super awesome. And like, I'm like, you know, like I didn't invest in that and it would be super helpful if I did like my car breaks down, I'm fucked and shit, you know? Yeah. Um, but I'm like, it's just, I don't know, man, it's a weird thing having a relationship early because in a couple ways, I feel like I can't live. Like if I got a crazy opportunity to move to LA, but she's in school here, it'd be hard to be like, all right, I'm going to go leave and be in LA for a year or unknown amount of time. You know, like you have more freedom because is there, of it. Is there any inch of regret in you then? Is it like, you know, you know what I mean? Is it like, <laughs> she's going to listen to this. Yeah, show. <laughs> I know, exactly. The girl I'm talking about might listen to this too. Uh, but it's like a lot of people, when they start families young, right? They, like you said, there's opportunities that you may miss. Is there, is that the sense that ever comes to your head and, you're, and you totally just delete that? Be like, no, this, I made the right decision in my life. So not in terms of who I'm with, in terms of like, I know there's not a better match mm. for me mm-hmm. out there. Um, but it's, and I don't think I'm like, maybe I'm not getting up. Like I don't have an opportunity to move to LA or Portland because I'm not looking for one because I can't, 
but for whatever reason, this just worked out. And, and if it was an unbelievable situation, I could absolutely move to Portland or LA. Um, and she would totally get it. It'd just be like, you don't want to leave your best friend. Yes, exactly. You know? So it's almost like this weird psychological, like thought loop of holding like possibly holding myself, but I don't think I am. I'm having a great time, but at the same time, there's not that many people to have on my show in Eugene. So mm-hmm. I will eventually move. Um, it's funny before we went to Hawaii, I wanted to move there and she didn't. And then once we visited there, I'm like, there's nothing for me to do here. I don't really want to live here. And she wants to move there now. So I'm like, I would want that to be my winter home. Um, three months, like November, December, January, maybe February, four months a year, go somewhere else, dude. This cold. Yeah. I can't do it. I love man. it. You love it. I hate the heat. I went to the Bahamas <laughs> with my friends for a vacation and they like sat on the beach. And I was like, what the fuck is this? What we're supposed to do is just sit on the beach in <laughs> the heat. I couldn't do it. That's why uh, I love Alaska. Alaska is like beautiful in itself. I went uh, snowboarding there and it's, it's cold. It's beautiful. It's, I think anywhere above, uh, 90 degrees, maybe 93 degrees is a bit too much for me. That's the beauty of Hawaii. It's the only state aside from Alaska that's never gotten over 100 yeah. um, because of so much water around it. So it tends to stay around 80. But every day we were there is 80. I was like, and it's beautiful too. And it's beautiful. Good food. And nature. I felt better there. Oh, except for food poisoning. I felt really bad a couple of the days. Um, but like we were just camping every day. So I didn't even have like a house or a shower oh, and that's shit. That's nice. But I felt really good just being out there, you know? Uh it's important for me to definitely live somewhere because nature is pretty much one of the only fun, free things to do. You know, whatever house I want, I want there to be a couple mile walk nearby. Cause I mean like Bernie, um, Bill Gates, a lot of people, they just start off their days with a long walk. And a lot of people are like, you can work out, you can be like the most athletic person ever, but unless you're walking for about an hour a day, you're probably not going to be healthy and feel really good. I've noticed that if I walk an hour a day, I feel better. Yeah. For me too. I, I, I wake up now and I do a lot of like meditation and that kind of stuff. And you a lot meditate? Of stretching. Yeah. And it was just because like for me, when I wake up, it's like, oh, the day is about to start, you know, and I, if I rush it so much, I end up having anxiety because it's before noon and it's like, oh shit, what am I else going to do in my life? So it's really taking that time to really make sure your mind's intact and catching yourself when you're like being negative. Yeah. What's, what's your meditation practice like? Pretty much I wake up and I have like, uh, you know, those mats that you sleep on when you're um, camping? You, you blow it up and I just sit there and I like close my eyes and it's like this weird, um, I forgot what it's called. It's a very specific kind of meditation, but it's like you're putting, you, you cross your hands and you raise it up above your, your head and it's just kind of breathing technique. And I just listened to a YouTube video of it. I forgot what it was called, but it's, uh, it's helped calm me down. But again, it's like calming you down to a certain point right and then your yeah. day starts and it's still a fucking mess but. yeah but you're down to go on the 10-day retreat with me yeah anyone listening reach out i mean i don't think i think the signups might be limited so this is actually this has been one of my, like my favorite show in a long time this is gonna be episode 51 because i'm taking a two-month break okay and it's gonna end in february so this is gonna be episode 51 and i got like fucking 20 booked i've been i did six shows in a day and then i've been doing like a show every day every other day um Damn. all of january because congratulations dude, that's huge um, that's great it's been easier and easier to reach out to people now that I have like a sustained thing. Yes. And I have a studio, the the local like entrepreneur um, center and like the VC fund place. Mm-hmm. Let me use their, their nice building as a studio, dude. I'm fucking happy. And um, so it's just it adds legitimacy rather than 
a lot of the first 50 episodes are like, Hey, come over to my house. And right now I'm living with my parents. Cause I'm like, I want to focus on this. That's how you do it, man. Yeah, <laughs> it is. But then you feel weird. I'm like, Hey, come over. Um, luckily like my parents have like a, a spare how like a guest house. So yeah. I just set up in there. So I'm not like, Hey, come into my parents' house and fucking talk to me. Yeah. Um, but then as I'm talking to more and more professional people, I'm like, I need a studio and I am so grateful for shout out to rain Eugene, um, and the coaster crust fund for helping me out a ton. Um, but again, still, it feels weird, man. All the synchronicities in life that allow, allow success to happen feel unreal. I feel like the more successful you are in life, the more distance from reality I would be in terms of I wouldn't feel like any of it's real at a certain point. But it's crazy when it comes to time. As you get older, time seems to go by quicker every single time you age. You know, while you're younger, you go, you talk about, you know, I want to grow up all, you know, I want to grow up quick. <laughs> yeah. And now when you're old, you're like, oh my gosh, there goes 2019. Now we're in 2020 now. And by the time you close your eyes, you know, next time technology will be advanced and it's, and it's how we mature and how we grow is going to be extremely important. So it's, for me, it's always constant growth. That's just, no, I think that's the important way of making time go slower too, is the more you're learning and like doing things else, like the more conscious you are. Like if, when you're going home, you don't take the regular path, you go a different way. You'll remember it, which will mean like, that'll be another spot in time that you remember. So I think time starts to go by faster when you don't, when you just do the same routine, you wake up and you drink coffee without thinking about it, go shit without thinking about a shower. Yeah. And then you sit down and watch TV and you, you can go the whole day in that like dead zone where you're just driving for two hours and you're like, Oh my God, what did I do? I think you can go a year of your life with that. If you don't do anything outside your routine. Yeah. It's, it's, and it's, it's also really crazy. Like when we talk about transportation, right? There's people that go from work and back and they spend two or three hours in their car and that's their life. Yeah. And, you know, if you really, you know, do the Excel sheets and then you see how much time you spend on things that you don't want to do. Yeah. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. What have you found is your biggest vices? Oh, shit. Uh, <laughs> when I travel, I like helicopters. Okay. I don't, I don't, I don't do much like crazy of buying like expensive things, but I liked having that experience from a different view. And that's always helicopters from like wherever I go somewhere. There has to be a fucking helicopter. Wait, you take a helicopter places? Like, no. It, or you like, go on helicopter tours when you're Helicopter there. tours. Nice, dude. But it's just like, it's that perspective of life. Like, a lot of people will travel to a place, see it by land, but to see by something by air, mm-hmm. it's like, it's just a different kind of feeling. So that's my only vice. That's um, not a vice. I mean, but, but super quick, um, like, two days after we got back from Kauai, six people died in a helicopter tour. And I was, I was told, telling, like, Mackenzie and my mom and stuff that I'm like... If I was there, I wouldn't text my parents back for like two days after that and just have them be like, fuck, you know, no, I wouldn't. <laughs> just be mean. That, would be, that would be hard for a parent. <laughs> like fucking A. Uh, but no, I mean, vices in like, where do most is your time go? Oh, most of my time? That you don't want it to go there, but maybe you can't stop. Oh shit. <laughs> Hopefully she's not listening to this, but ah. it's like, a, it's thinking about how do I better myself for that individual person wow. for their lifestyle? Yeah. Um, I like... Cause I know she, she's extremely independent too, but for me, it's always like, you know, trying to figure her out where it's like, I want to be with this person. I want to try to attempt a relationship. How can we make this work? But in the sense, know that she's independent. I'm independent. If things don't go the way that, you know, naturally we would both be fine with each other, not being in each other's life romantically or anything. We would be great friends, but I like to know either yes or no kind of thing. I don't like being in the middle ground kind of thing. Yeah. Who so, does? <laughs> so it's like, I guess my vice right now is being like, oh, how can I provide for this person in like ways that she needs? Because uh, 
as a person that's independent myself, sometimes you don't say the things you really need yeah. out loud. You 100%. sort of keep it to yourself, hoping that someone can listen. And I, I, I've, I've tried to fucking listen a lot. Yeah. And I'm still trying to figure it out. And it's like, it all comes from good intentions, though. It's like, I want to help this person. I want to help this person uh, learn and grow. And I know she'll do the same for me. But it's, uh, it's figuring out people. People are really hard, especially people that are independent and like to keep them themselves. It's like a different uh, book to open. So you don't like lose a lot of time to social because if part of your job, social media, I find myself going on social media habitually Mm -hmm. and I fucking hate it. And then I lose an hour to going to Twitter and then Instagram, then Facebook, then Messenger, then Reddit. And I'm like, fuck. And I'm like, oh, I'm doing it to kind of keep up on stuff or make a post or like message people. But it really I'm like, I'm losing time. Yeah. Like I would say like Reddit and social media might be my biggest time vice right now. I fucking hate it, but I can't stop because I I justified myself that I have to. I just go on, do what I have to, and then get off. That's the way but sometimes it. naturally, like I'll be on my hand will be on the keyboard and I'll press F A real quick for Facebook. You know what ah, I mean? It's yeah. just like natural. Yeah. Or so it's like it's taking those time to be like, okay, maybe when I do have to work hardcore, I turn off the internet. Nice. And that's that's sort of the the big solution to uh, when I have to work on big projects. Do you have any uh, traditionally creative? Because I think the endeavors you're doing, technology is creative work. Mm-hmm. You're creating something. Do you have any traditional creative um, endeavors like writing or uh, music or something? I've been trying to dabble more in music because uh, part of creating films in that, I want to make our own like in-house production of that so i've been dabbling in that a lot uh, most of the stuff i work on when it comes to film right now is longer documentaries and that's those take like three or four months but it's all focusing on uh humanity and trying to bring humanity back kind of like what dang did um yeah nice so i'm trying to do that right now uh specifically in the foster care situation so i have a couple of projects like i have meetings uh, in the next few weeks lined up because it's like to be able to work on a passion project like that you know it helps a lot of people but it makes you sleep better at night too. So yeah, I like it. Well, we just hit an hour and a half, which has been one of my longer shows. But I mean, I got 30, 40 minutes till uh, the oh, next what time is it right now? It's two twenty. All right, I gotta go because uh, my parking's at two thirty. <laughs> okay, cool, dude. I appreciate your time so much. Yeah, and I'm. I would love to talk to you again, man. That would be great. Do you have any shout outs or things you want uh, to say? Shout out to that girl. I think ah, she knows who she, who she is, but it's like. You know, I, I think there's a lot of people I want to shout out. Uh, my friend Natalie, of course, uh, when it comes to like the autism field I was working at, you know, she's she's a person that has sort of kept me straight in like, this is, you have a lot of good potential. You're a good human being. You don't have to stress about saving the world. Like you can be you and still do absolutely great things. You shouldn't stress about it. I like it. So uh, shout out to her. Cool. Thank you very much, man. I had a blast. Yeah.